Hi everyone, this is Morgan Phelps with Acuity Brands. Welcome back to the Women in Sustainability Design the Future podcast. We have created this podcast to elevate the voices of women driving sustainable practices in the built environment. We hope you find their stories inspirational and helpful to the work that you do. The hosts for these conversations are industry veterans, Lindsay Baker and Kiara Gold. Let's get started. Hi everyone. Uh, thanks so much for joining us again this week on Women in Sustainability Design the Future. This is Lindsay. And this is Kira. And we're back uh, for another week and uh, counting our blessings this week as, as the air has cleared here in the Bay for the first time in a, a while. Right. How are you feeling? I am breathing fresh air. I am delighted and I feel grateful and um, I really, it is amazing to, when you see the horizon and the blue sky a little bit after not seeing it for a while. Um, it really does. It's quite a perspective shifter to, I mean, I think you've said this before, but not take that for granted. Um, so yeah, feeling really good about that and feeling really worried about others on the West Coast who are not in that place yet. And, and this question of like, when will we be back in it? And it, I mean, that's one thing for, for listeners that are not here on the West Coast, you know, we, we expect that this is going to kind of come and go, you know, it, I mean, if somehow it doesn't, that would be really wonderful, but it may be that we have this for the next few months. So it's really like a strange resetting of expectations. But yeah, I, I, I got a chance to walk around yesterday afternoon and I was walking around Lake Merritt and it was just the best feeling to see everybody out and everyone's like talking to each other and so excited to be able to breathe. And, you know, there were like rollerbladers out and people, you know, just letting their kids run around. It, yep. it's, just, um, it's the other side of the disaster camaraderie, right? Yeah. When you're out in the, in the very terrible air and you make eye contact with someone you don't know, there's this camaraderie about like, can you believe that, that so much is said in an eye exchange, you know? Yeah. And that's like this disaster. I think that's not my term. It was in a, a piece recently, disaster camaraderie. And I felt that way a little bit on Sunday morning at the green market because it was gross out. It was awful, but we all wanted fresh, fresh food. produce, you know? Um, so it was a quick trip to the green market. But now the opposite is when you, you're out and there's that jubilation and relief and gratitude and appreciation and all of that. And you're all feeling it at the same time. Yeah, it's a it's it's a weird feeling. It's it's a weird feeling to and then you know the 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 balance of it knowing that it's still that that you know the fires are still out there, people are just still displaced. It's it's pretty tragic. And it's it's weird to say because I know this will air a few weeks after this particular moment, but yes. um it but I'm sure that the fire relief efforts will still um need people to to donate and and um give whatever you can. So if you if you're yeah. If you're feeling so moved, you know, and if you're not <laughs> otherwise prioritizing your giving to, uh, you know, hurricanes or tornadoes or other things, it, it feels like there's a lot of need out there. So we, we actually took a, a big load of stuff down to Santa Cruz last weekend, and it was just nice to see how many people are banding together to figure out how to get people stuff they need right now. That's right. crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, as I mean, the, the the one, if there's an upside to this stuff, it's an awareness factor. And there's a lot of discussion about domestic climate migration that we're going to be seeing in the coming years. Um, 
Yeah. I don't know. There was a big piece in the New York Times magazine. Uh, Abram Lustgarten did a, wrote the piece and worked with photojournalist Meredith Kohut. And it's very long and very, it's amazing, actually. It really talks about all the different parts of the country and what we're going to be seeing and really how we've been defying nature with development and our development choices, including, of course, even rebuilding after fires. We do it all the time, after fires, after floods, after many things. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just not going to work indefinitely. I mean, it, we really have a settlement uh, reckoning coming, I believe. Yeah, it's, it's, it's on my mind all the time these days. Um, it actually reminds me of some, some uh, bits in, the, in uh, Naomi Klein's book, This Changes Everything, where she talks about uh, people who were displaced after Hurricane Katrina and, and who rebuilt their homes and yeah. are now wishing that they had like taken the the buyout. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, or or taken money to move. I guess yes. thing because you know that we're we're moving away from that idea that these things are once in a lifetime moments and and really asking ourselves how often is this going to happen and do I want to be in this place anymore but i mean yeah governor jerry brown i think was the person who most prominently said this this past week like where are you gonna go <laughs> you know um yeah. i i think that's a really it's something we're all grappling with but um in particular it just feels i'm 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 relieved to see that so many people understand that being able to move is a is a privilege that is only yes. available to a small handful of people. And so we're really not talking about that as a solution. That is, it's, it's really uh, not how any of this is going to feel any better. Um, no, but, but there is a need to, to look at this as a system, right. And figure out where we can sustainably settle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and be much more, I mean, it, again, in the burning West right now, it's just on my mind that we've, you know, completely ignored and in fact outlawed indigenous practices and knowledge about fire for decades. And I know in some ways, this sounds terrible <laughs> to say it, but perhaps we should not be surprised by this result. Um, if you ignore nature long enough, I don't know. I I'm, that's, that's, I know that's a, that's a bit of a grim way to look at it, but I do think, you know, this reminded me a little bit, Liz Obu, when we talked to her on this podcast, she was talking about um, using design as a mechanism for creating conditions for people to stay in communities. And it was about addressing gentrification issues and, and how design could work around those. And it struck me, you know, that notion of creating conditions where people can stay where they are living. I mean, in our, in our understanding of that broadly, we have to listen more closely to to nature and have to have nature be a part of that dialogue because otherwise we are going to face a force far greater than us again and again. And I just, you know, the, the costs, the human costs and the economic costs and the, just the disruption and all of it, it's, it's too much, you know? Yeah, it is. It is. It's totally too much. And I feel like it, I was thinking about get, um, us getting on the podcast this week and I was like, I wonder how many people want to get on a podcast and listen to us talk about how things are pretty bad. And, and I, I decided, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but like I decided, like, come on, like this is a week when uh, like not many people I've talked to have felt like saying like, well, it's, uh, you know, it's all right. Like seeing the optimistic side of it. 
this is a week I think it's a we're we're very much allowed to exist in that space. You know, I mean, we we were talking about this over the weekend with some women that we gathered with that um, it, it's possible to maintain these these two emotions at the same time, yeah. the, the despair and the fear and all of these things that we have and still keep working. And that's, that's where I am this week. I'm not feeling plated or de-energized. I'm feeling very energized to do the work, but I'm also feeling, yeah, like this is, this is rough. This is pretty rough times. And I don't think we, it is rough, but it's motivating. It is. Yeah. I, I think it's really motivating. Um, and you know, sometimes in an, in an even weird way, certain conferences and things that were taking place this week people were displaced and they're in different you know all this I mean if if that is not you know the embodiment of what we're talking about I don't know what is right so there is a lot of motivation in it too and in some ways it's a little bit empowering to be in the midst of a moment when it's very visible to everyone the public is seeing it and talking about it and that makes the work towards sustainable communities seem all the more urgent. I agree. And uh, it is with that urgency that I am excited to introduce our guests for today. Uh, we've got Alyssa Lyon and Mandy Lee with us. Hello, ladies. Hello, how are you? Hey there. Hi, hi. Uh, welcome to you both. So I'll just briefly tell everyone um, a bit about Alyssa and Mandy. So Alyssa is the Sustainable Communities Director at the Green Building Alliance in Pittsburgh. She has a master's of public management from Carnegie Mellon and a bachelor's in communications and Africana studies from the University of Pittsburgh. Before her work at GBA, she was the manager of engagement and outreach at Pittsburgh Community Reinvestment Group. And Mandy Lee is the manager of NAACP's Centering Equity in the Sustainable Building Sector Program, uh, which is a program we've talked about a couple of times on the podcast, um, just in our chats. Uh, she worked previously at the US Green Building Council with a focus on social equity and international applicability for LEED. Uh, so we're excited to have them both doing like a, um, the first time that we have two people uh, as guests together on the podcast. We did that for lots of reasons in particular because we wanna talk about um, the ways in which people are collaborating um, in some of these facets of the work specifically around centering equity. Thanks for being here. Um, we would love to start if you all can tell us a little bit about your past, how you got involved in sustainability and, and the built environment and um, you know what, what got you started. If Alyssa, do you wanna start? Um, sure, yeah, I definitely can start. Um, so to be honest, I've only been in the um, sustainability sector for a year. Um, which is really crazy to think about. But I actually started off as a community organizer just here in Pittsburgh. After I graduated from Pitt, I got a car. And at the time I lived in um, Greenfield and I drove down the street to Hazelwood and I was really surprised at the stark differences of the neighborhoods. And they were only about like two miles away, you know? Yeah. Um, so I reached out to someone like, you know, outraged, like, who's responsible for this? Like, who do I have to talk to? And I got directed to the Urban Redevelopment Authority. Um, and there I was able to start my path, um, well, to community organizing. And I bounced around from the URA to a couple uh, nonprofits. Um, and then I wound up at the Pittsburgh Community Reinvestment Group, with, which allowed me to really root myself in policy and legislation and understand that if you want to make change, uh, you got to go towards the roots. 
um, which led me to go back to CMU, uh, to the public policy school at Heinz. Um, and then uh, I eventually kind of upped my game and wound up in sustainable communities at GBA. Um, and I really just took my organizing skills and put it in this sphere. So I think there's a mutual learning that's happening between um, myself and the sustainability uh, sphere, um, all the while understanding that there's still not enough attention on communities. So uh, that's a roundabout way to kind of just say um, I stumbled into the sphere because I love communities and I love people. Um, and I love to see uh, particularly black spaces thrive. Um, and that's the kind of work that I want to do. So thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to y'all as well. So thanks again. Thank you for being here. And it's a very like, I don't know why, but the way that you describe that, like just loving communities and, and, and creating space for black communities. It's a really, it's like a really lovely way of putting it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, can I ask you one other little question? Cause I want to inspire our listeners a little bit more. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing at GBA? Like what's the sort of, um, what's the, the mission of your work or the, the, the general kind of frame of your work? Sure. So the Green Building Alliance um, really has been created to make sure that all buildings um, thrive um, and we really focus on the health of buildings. And I think that has expanded to healthy schools um, and that's further expanded to, to green education, which is some of the other programming we have. Um, but then last year they created the communities program. Um, and I think what we're really seeing is there are a lot of grassroots efforts of community leaders incorporating um, environmental justice and sustainability into their, you know, community efforts and comprehensive community planning. Um, and so we've, you know, since I've gotten to GBA, to be honest, I've been on a lot of pro programs and projects and um, hanging around communities who are in the thick of their planning. Um, so we're really working on establishing the pillars and the priorities of the program. And I think right now it's really emphasizing and highlighting the intersections and the interconnectedness and the impact of climate change, health and equity. Um, and those are the points that we've really been driving through. Um, one thing I heard recently is that we act like ch climate change is separate from people's experiences and they're both very much happening simultaneously. And that's what we're hoping to make real with the communities program, honestly. Uh, sounds important. And, and it's also just really nice to hear. I, I occasionally will hear folks talk about how to do a better job of, you know, centering equity um, in their work and um, bringing someone in who's a community organizer to your community and, and, and as you're doing, you know, figuring out all of the ways in which the work can be interconnected and better tied to community mm -hmm. organizing efforts seems like a great way to do it, a very a genuine uh, commitment. So that's exciting. Um, and Mandy, well, you want to tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to be doing what you're doing today? Yeah, sure. Thank you. I really resonate with what Alyssa said about her path being the product of the places where she's lived and the people in them. And I, I resonate. I, I grew up in a community in central New Jersey where environmentalism and environmental education was just part of my day-to-day -day experience. This was predominantly white, high-wealth community, tons of preserved green space. And I just remember very early in, even in 
middle school, high school, I was desperately afraid of the climate crisis and still am. And the way in which the climate crisis makes every other crisis we face exponentially worse. And I also am someone who really loves really tangible projects and being able to watch something come together from start to finish. So I've always been kind of drawn to designing spaces and seeing a physical space come to life. But really, I think my my path into sustainability and the built environment came about from coming to Washington, D.C. I came for college and have stayed. I expect to stay for a very long time. And, you know, one of the, the first things that I came to understand about D.C., which is known as Chocolate City, is that it has deep histories of Black culture and resilience, um, which a lot of people overlook because they typically just see the federal government. Um, but thankfully, I was oriented to the work of community organizers very early on into moving into the city and started having conversations about racial justice, focusing mostly on the impacts of gentrification and the displacement of Black families from their homes and their neighborhoods. Um, and I'll just say that, you know, personally on the block where I live, this is happening every every couple of months. I see a Black neighbor, a Black family nearby who's been there for generations leaving and selling their homes, which end up being sold again for almost a million dollars and literally sticking out in terms of design like a sore thumb from the rest of the neighborhood. These are typically, you know, row houses being converted into multi-unit luxury condos. And yeah, the disparities are are impossible to miss. You know, we also in my community have churches being converted into luxury condos, stained glass still there, everything's still there, right across the street from public housing communities that have been promised redevelopment for more than a decade mm -hmm. and are vacant. You know, half of the units are vacant and the buildings are deteriorating. And so I had been working in green building and I saw a pretty disturbing trend in my own city of green gentrification and basically seeing buildings coming in that have a seal of approval in terms of environmental impact with zero conversation about economic or racial impact. Mm -hmm. And uh, DC is actually the most densely certified place in the country for green buildings. And what I thought was so hard to swallow was that the green building industry was making a lot of empty statements about social equity and making you know promises about this. But in reality, green buildings are designed to appeal to people like me, actually, white, well-educated, environmentally minded, upper class people, um, and especially in DC, young people who are moving into the city. So um, that was a big wake up call for me. And I had the good fortune of being able to meet Jackie Patterson, who had started a program at the NAACP called Centering Equity in the Sustainable Building Sector, which we can talk about more. Um, but really, you know, I just had a wake up call in the words of one of our members, sustainability without equity is sustaining inequity. And the disparities are just very, very clear to me that unless our sustainability work is literally proactively anti-racist and anti-oppressive, then we're sustaining white supremacy by environmental means in some ways. And the, yeah, we'll talk about that more later, I'm sure. But that yeah. was that was the turning point for me. Yeah, we, we will. I, I think um, actually the one thing we might not get to talk about more 
is Jackie Patterson. So maybe we should just spend a moment. Mandy, do you want to tell us about Jackie? Because I feel like our listeners need to understand who this incredible human is that you work with and, mm-hmm. and how she's all involved. And she's, she's very much involved in, in us coming together. Um, but yeah, t- tell us about Jackie. I feel like that's a good uh, transition to the next question. Oh, gosh, yeah, it would be my honor to tell you about Jackie Patterson. Um, so she she actually started the NAACP's Environmental and Climate Justice Program and has been the director since its founding um, for over a decade. And in addition to that, she's she's worked on pretty much every justice issue that you can imagine. She's She co-founded a group called Women of Color United, She's worked on women's rights, violence against women, HIV and AIDS, racial justice, economic justice, special education, all kinds of all kinds of topics. Um, and I think the beautiful thing is that the environmental and climate justice program that she built takes this intersectional view that basically the in order to solve the climate crisis, like like Alyssa just said, we have to get to the roots of where these issues actually come from. And Jackie is one of the most eloquent and grounded speakers I've ever heard talk about that, pulling together why, you know, colonialism, capitalism, racism, patriarchy, ableism, all of these systems uh, are, are influencing the way our communities are built and designed and the way in which we all are responding to the climate crisis, which I think, as uh, Kira said, shouldn't be surprising <laughs> that we've gotten to this point because of these systems. Yeah, it's not, but somehow we haven't, we're not ready <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, well, that's a great, maybe a great way to, I'd like to switch over and ask Alyssa a little bit, maybe from your perspective about your role in the Centering Equity Initiative, and then we can talk a little more about your other work too. You know, to be honest, I, I think my role is is to be honest. I think I'm astounded when I got into the sustainability field. And then I think about the years and the decades in the century, like the decades of, of environmental justice that Black and brown people and melanated folks have kind of been fighting for this whole time. And so we kind of get to this place where we use <clears throat> new nomenclature or we use new language to kind of really cover up the racial um, inequity that we're really truly honestly fighting against. Um, because if you think about it, and even though we don't talk about it a lot, I, I, I think, and I have to remind myself in my organization of this is that we're doing this for disadvantaged populations, not for the building owners, not for the land owners, we're doing this for, for people who, um, like myself, who and, and most people in Pittsburgh who live near factories and who live near plants and who don't have green spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think my work in this field is to simply kind of be honest and be like, mm, I, don't, I don't see Black people included in this or who is this truly helping or mm-hmm. are, we, are we being as impactful as we thought? Um, one thing I said to myself and to other p- people of my organization the other day is we are the Green Building Alliance. And right now, no one is in a building. Mm-hmm. Have we thought about homes? Have we thought about houses? Have we thought about small businesses? Um, and so 
I am looking forward to being more innovative with this organization because we have to think about the future and we have to be future and forward thinking. And so I, I'm glad that I'm in this field because I get to kind of have a leg up on what's next mm-hmm. and I can bring that back to my people, which is great. Um, but we always have to make sure that we're thinking about the true beneficiaries of this work. Um, and that are the, those are the people who have been disserviced um, and devalued all these centuries and these decades. And so I, I'm here because it's kind of being like, yeah, this is great. This is all true. Um, this is awesome. Um, and who's benefiting um, from all the work that we're doing? And so right now we're, we're using this term, we have to pivot, we have to pivot. Right. Um, maybe it's because we weren't really thinking about the most important things in the first place. And so that's a nice rude awakening because black folks are like, well, damn, we've been waiting for y'all to wake up for so long and now we're here. So what are we going to do about it? Um, so I'm kind of ready at that intersection of what are we going to do about it? And let's get going because um, everybody's caught up now. Well, to that point, then, um, I wonder if you could share with us if there's a project um, or something specific that you're working on now that you want our listeners to know about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the great things that GBA in recognizing, um, first of all, recognizing they need a communities program is that they jumped right in and dove to the dove into the heart of what community organizing is, which is was just listening to the people. Um, and so one piece of work that we are working on is um, in partnership with the Homewood Children's Village, which is an organization, a community development corporation based in the Homewood neighborhood of Pittsburgh. Um, we were granted originally $100,000, an additional $50,000 due to COVID-19, um, $150,000 to do work in three predominantly Black neighborhoods, Homewood, the Hill District, and Hazelwood neighborhoods of Pittsburgh. And this climate change, health and equity programming is supposed to engage 30 community leaders from their respective communities, um, deliver a 12-week curriculum that was curated by myself and Dr. G at the Homewood Children's Village, Mm -hmm. um, a paid experience. And in that experience, we're going to introduce them to a whole bunch of things, trauma-informed urban development. We're going to review their neighborhood's comprehensive plans. We're going to get them talking to their local legislators. Um, We're going to get them eco-district certified. Um, And we're going to pay them to participate. And the product of that, um, once they experience all of that, is to create a grassroots piece of legislation, their own policy that comes from their experience with their neighborhoods and their city in general. And hopefully after we go for some implementation funding, we can push that legislation through. And I think it would be supremely impactful to show people of the city of Pittsburgh and the nation that your voice is valuable enough to stick and that your voice is valuable enough to make change. Um, And I think as we head into the primary elections, um, as we head into election season in general, it would be nice for people to remember that they can advocate for themselves. And I don't like to use the word empower because they didn't lose the power Um, They were stifled. Um, They were stopped. Um, And so it would be nice to to allow them to remember who they are and that they can advocate for themselves. 
and the only thing that's holding them back um, is a is an oppressive system. Um, and we have we have resources and tools to kind of fight against that. So I'm really excited about the climate change, health and equity programming. Um, really would encourage anyone from Homewood, the Hill District, and Hazelwood to hop on board. But it really is a true testament to people power. I love that, Alyssa. It sounds really fantastic um, and very holistic. And I really love the notion of um, local you know, just being, being able to help make the rules about their place. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what that's about. And I, it's really great. Um, I also wanted to ask you if, if um, what you're most proud of accomplishing in your work life, and it could be something more personal or something more on the professional side. Oh, wow. Um, what am I most proud of? I, I don't know. I haven't, I, I don't, I didn't think about that. I do think that I'm proud of these transferable skills. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when I was graduating from Pitt and I was like, you know, to be honest, um, y'all, I started off as like in emergency medicine. And the first time I got on the back of an ambulance, I was like, oh, no, this is not for me. So then <laughs> I went over to communication and black studies and I thought to myself, what am I going to do with this? And I realized that learning how to, A, talk to people and learning how to, B, talk to Black people has been one of the most valuable experiences that, and skills that have been added to my community organizing track. Um, so I'm excited that I'm able to formulate thought. I'm able to connect with people and people find that valuable enough to incorporate in their work. So I'm excited to be working on something such as the CCHE Kresge Foundation work um, mm -hmm. because it really brings us back to the basics. And I think that's what we need. Um, so I'm excited um, to keep building on skills. I'm excited to have, keep having conversations with people like you all um, that really challenge my thought and challenge what I know um, and, and take me out of um, my comfort zones and allow me to bring my skills to sustainability, which is a predominantly white field and yep. industry. And I'm excited that I can navigate through those things. So I'm, I'm excited about my ability to navigate. Um, and I'm truly going to be excited about this Kresge work um, once it starts in November. That's great. That's really wonderful. Um, I want to shift gears just a little bit um, to talk about um, well, there's two things we talk about a lot on this show. Um, we discuss the green building sort of as the green building movement, and then also the industry. And we've mentioned both in our conversation already today. Um, but I'd like to start with Mandy um, and ask about, in regard to the, the work that you're a part of, where did you think we would be in 2020? And what do you think are maybe the major areas of progress um, or the biggest lacks that you see in that progress? Yeah, I mean, 2020, I was expecting to be hard, but not to be like this. I don't think anyone was thinking about a pandemic hitting. But to be honest, I think we've known since Trump's inauguration that we're going to be facing a pretty destructive federal government during this presidency. And it's been exhausting to see the kinds of regulations and programs that were built with such care and love um, getting destroyed. You know, honestly, I think 
there's the reality that the that the pandemic has actually really revealed where we are mm-hmm. um, as a country, but also in terms of the sustainable building sector, as we call it. Um, we definitely, I think, are seeing that you know we're not we're not seeing the green building industry responding to this as much, right? Like we're seeing community organizers, housing justice organizers, economic justice organizers, mutual aid networks responding and keeping keeping each other safe. But we're not, I don't know if I've really seen the green building industry take on the moment. And there's a couple of things that kind of keep me grounded about where we are right now and that housing is less stable than it's ever been, number one. And a lot of people are afraid just to lose their homes in the next couple of months as eviction moratoriums expire. Um, So there's these real immediate threats that need to be addressed along with the long-term building towards sustainable design of communities as a whole in order to even get to that long-term goal. I also want to uplift that, you know, we've been talking to a lot of amazing people in the fields of architecture, engineering, and so on. And even though there have been decades of conversation about diversity, equity, inclusion, there's just a massive gap that has not been remedied. Um, Just a couple of weeks ago, we had a webinar with the Black Women in Architecture Network who told us that we just hit the all-time high of 500 Black women licensed as architects in the U.S. That's 500 total in the entire country. And when they had started coming together as a network and doing popular education about 12 years ago, there were 150. So, you know, modest, extremely modest gains over a long period of time. Um, Green 2.0 also has some amazing data that's been collected about kind of the green sector as a whole. Um, But in general, the numbers are really sad and really frustrating Mm -hmm. that there's kind of a, a green ceiling in organizations that really in this workforce, you rarely see people of color exceeding 16% of the staff. And that's not even thinking about black professionals, specifically black Mm -hmm. women professionals. And so, you know, I, I think it is, it is heartening to see that a lot of people are connecting the dots because of the pandemic, because of the uprisings against violence, white supremacist violence, police violence. Um, They're connecting the dots. They're asking themselves individually, and as organizations, how they contribute to injustice. But it just feels like we're starting so late. <laughs> and so yeah. people are, so many people are just getting started with these conversations. And we need to go a lot further than statements or good intentions and actually see money and power shifting, yeah. not, not just tinkering at the way the industry works or the way programs work. Agreed. And Mandy, there's so many, so many things in what you just said, but And maybe this is a good opportunity to ask you to dig in a little bit more um, to the mission and the scope of Centering Equity, that initiative, um, and what you guys are doing. Because I know that you've received, I mean, a lot of people have joined in that work in the last, during this reckoning period that you just described. Um, So maybe you can talk a little bit more specifically about what you guys are doing. Absolutely. Yeah. So The NAACP is made up of more than 2,000 units, which are, you know, our state or local branches, and we have hundreds of thousands of members. So 
our role at the national level is to resource all of our members to achieve their campaigns for policy change or to achieve projects on the ground in their communities. And so the, the Centering Equity in the Sustainable Building Sector Initiative has that same goal. We're identifying the members and leaders of NAACP branches around the country who are fighting development that is harming their communities or proactively looking to build better futures in their communities and connecting them with as many resources as we can to make that possible, whether that's funding, whether that's technical assistance, policy assistance, and so on. I'll give a shout out here to two members in particular who are demonstrating this. In uh, the south side of Chicago, uh, President Rose Joshua is actually working on a project right now to create an eco-district with land that was gifted to that NAACP branch. Mm -hmm. And further south in Louisville, Kentucky, Arnita Gadsden is looking to renovate the office space that the NAACP branch leases along with the rest of the building in cooperation with the building owner and manager and transform vac vacant properties in the blocks surrounding that NAACP office to become a hub of resilience and community building and sustainability. So that's really, that's the vision. We mm -hmm. wanna see our members take leadership in, in this space and demonstrate what's possible for the rest of the country and the industry. Um, and then in addition, I'd say that what's been unique about this initiative is that we've attracted a tremendous amount of interest from people who are not NAACP members, mm -hmm. people who are sustainability and building professionals who are already or seeking to be champions for racial and economic justice in their work. And through this building of a multiracial, intergenerational, cross-class network of more than 500 people now, um, we're building tools together, taking in the experiences of, of all, all different audiences that are participating to look to hold the industry accountable to better practices and policies. It's great work. Um, I've been privileged to sit in on a couple of those tool building meetings and um, I'm so honored to be a part of that conversation and it's really incredible and I the people I have met it's just it's amazing it's really um, exploded my awareness of what's going on around the country in different ways so I really commend you on that that work likewise I'm 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 such a fan. I, I think that what you also said, Mandy, that's important here is this idea that the more people you have in that community or otherwise coming together on these issues, the more accountability we can push. Mm -hmm. And and I'm excited for that and hoping that more people will will join that effort, if only just to really extend the degree to which we can push for accountability across you know, what is a pretty big industry, a lot of people, a lot of things going on, and we just need a lot more eyes, um, a lot more people, a lot more hands involved in doing this. Okay, well, so so speaking of these kinds of dynamics, Alyssa, I want to ask you a question um, that I ask a lot of folks that come on the show. I'm really curious what you'll have to say about this. It's about the difference between the industry and the movement. And in this case, you know, we talk a lot about specifically the green building industry versus the green building movement or that it can be thought of as a movement. Do you feel like you are a part of just an industry or do you feel like you're a part of 
the movement or both? And how do you think about that? I think my role in the industry is to bring light to the movement. Because I think before long, this was an industry, I think it, and I think I hinted towards it earlier, that this was an environmental justice movement um, rooted in this idea that we all have access to civil rights and equitable civil rights. And so I I think I said this on a pre-call with you all, is that I think movements aren't monetized. I think industries are. And that's what happened with the sustainability industry, which is why we have to go back and apply a racial lens um, because there were so many things that became monetized in this industry that I think was already knowledge and awareness in the environmental justice movement. And that, so I, I think the industry should be used to bring light to the movement. Um, and and bring light and resources to the the urban gardens and bring light and resources um, to the to the urban vendors and bring light and resources to sustainable neighborhoods um, more so than just the buildings because ten buildings make up a community um, and so we should all be using the um, which is why I really enjoy working with Mandy I really enjoy working with Jackie. Um, because they took up something at one of the oldest, longest-running African-American organizations this nation has ever seen. And they thought it important enough to embed sustainability in the building sector within the NAACP. And that means that this fight has been going on for a really long time. And so I think we should all be using our voice to bring power to the movement. I think we should all be using our voice in this sector to bring visibility and momentum to the movement because at the end of the day, you know, unless we live in these spaces, we, we should be working on behalf of the people who are really involved and really interacting with sustainability on an everyday basis. Um, And so I do feel like I'm a part of the movement because I'm a black queer woman. And so I am the movement. I also feel like I'm a part of this industry. And there's there's a way to kind of help both thrive and succeed. I I love that and appreciate it. And and I think you called out something that hits home. I know Kira's experienced this too, but I, I feel very culpable and like have been coming to terms with what it looked like for a group of people that defined itself really as a movement to essentially find this avenue for for success that was becoming an industry and it i think in many ways lost its uh lost touch with its roots as a movement um and also hadn't never really established the right roots because it was not aware of and paying attention to all of the ways in which it was it was it had limited its view to you know to not include the full spectrum of how um, environmental justice environmental racism was functioning but it it is it's a disturbing thing to to look back on um, and understand how the two have been synonymously treated um, and are really pretty different so thank you and and um, I have one more question for you specifically, Alyssa, which is about inspiration. Are you inspired by anyone or anything these days? Uh, anything in particular? Do you, are you feeling inspired? 
how are those emotions, <laughs> how are those external factors impacting you? You're hesitant to ask because you know it's crazy. Yeah, I am inspired by artists and youth right now. Artivism is real. And I think it brings um, a very colorful, I think it brings, you know, out passion and it adds color to resistance and it makes it awesome. And I think youth, I, I just turned 30. And so I understand when people talk about youth now that they're so much better than us and more exciting and fearless and all those things. But I think they get it. And I think they see they just see better than than what I'm seeing right now. Um, and they have more energy. So I'm really inspired by artists. Pay your local artists. Artivism is awesome. And youth are awesome. And they have a voice. And they are not meant to just be seen and not heard. That's great. Um, I did also want to, we're going to be running out of time here in a minute, but I wanted to make sure we left a couple minutes to talk about how people can get more involved in the work that you're doing. Um, I want to start with you, Mandy. If if someone's called to get involved in this in some way or is inspired by some of what you've described, how should they get involved? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so the Centering Equity in the Sustainable Building Sector Initiative from the NAACP, like I said, is open. It's not a members-only project, and we are always advocating for more people to participate in our conversations and carry them forward in their own life and their own work. So you can sign up through our website. If you if you just Google Centering Equity in the Sustainable Building Sector, you will find us. We have monthly working groups. We have about monthly popular education webinars. Uh, and like I said, we're putting out resources and aggregating resources from others that we really hope people take a look at on the note of inspiration, you know, the examples aren't nearly as many as, as they should be, but we have a resource directory just chock full of black, brown, indigenous led organizations, projects, policy campaigns um, with tons of lessons that have been learned over many decades. And so I, I do really encourage people to take a look at some of the case studies that we've been putting out there and, and hopefully using them to spark further conversations. Absolutely. Thank you, Mandy. And Alyssa, the same question to you. How should people get involved if they're interested in the work that you're doing in Pittsburgh? Yeah, just visit uh, gba.org. We're in the process of launching our communities page. So you'll find more information on what we're doing there in a second, but just go visit gba.org. Shoot me an email. Um, and and there we actually have times where you can schedule time to sit down and talk with me and we can on our on our website you can chat with an expert so feel free to sign up and have a conversation yeah we we did that at the height of the 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 pandemic so I thought it was a great idea it is that's really cool thank you yeah that is super cool I'm very generous um well thanks to you both for being on the show it's been wonderful to have you thanks for having me it's always cool to talk to Mandy and talk to you guys yeah, um, we appreciate it. It's there's some great takeaways from this week. For me, what's what I'm leaving with is this reminder for us all that this is work. This is real work that we're getting into that we're committing to. And if you haven't yet made that commitment, I hope that you will. And also that the work can be very beautiful. 
um, and you know whether it's uh, supporting artists or otherwise, there is a lot of beauty at the end of this difficult work uh, and a lot of connection with your fellow community members that yeah. I think um, you know if it if it's feeling daunting, just remember that that's what we're doing it for. So thank you all. And with that, that is it for us for the week on Women in Sustainability Design the Future. Thanks again to Acuity for hosting and to you all, our listeners. Please leave us a review on Apple. It really helps people find us. We appreciate it a lot. Thanks again. Stay safe and we'll see you next week.